Theology of the Body Institute, this is the Ask Christopher West Podcast. Well, hello, podcast listeners. Yes, hello. Good to be with you. Thank you for being with us again. We are recording right now. No, what's the, what did you? Wendy always says the number before we actually do our episode. But right, you, it's what, number one sixty-eight. This is number one sixty-eight. Correct. So we're getting pushing the two hundred mark. Can getting you believe there. it? We almost two hundred episodes. That's pretty amazing. So two hundred. Well, when we get to 200, we're not there. But for the sake of simple math, mm-hmm. we're doing an average of three questions, usually three questions an episode. Yep. So that would be 600, nearly 600 questions. Yeah. Thank you for sending in your questions. Yes, absolutely. Thank you for your questions. And we want you to know, we've said this before, but we just really want our listeners to know, we really do read your questions, pray for you, pray about whether to include them on the podcast or not. And if it's not on there, we certainly pray that the content that we do include ministers to you in that place of your question. That's a good point, Wendy. Brings an answer, even if you don't hear your own question exactly on the podcast. I hope that that happens. not possible with the number of questions that we get to on a weekly podcast to address them all. So that's a good point. We, We hope and pray that what we do say and the questions we do address will... We'll give you food for thought if you've submitted a question that we haven't been able to address. Now, you are just back from a trip. Fresh back, like got back an hour ago. Right. Before recording this podcast. And I'm working on about three hours of sleep right now. Oh, I pray that that doesn't (laughs) impact our answers negatively. (laughs) Yeah, I I don't think it shall because I still have the adrenaline. The adrenaline is not crashed. This This is a typical pattern for me. Adrenaline kind of carries me through, yeah, and then the adrenaline crashes, and then I'm just... There's nothing left. I'm like a floppy, dead <laughs> octopus. I don't know why that image came to mind. <laughs> <It's> okay. <laughs> but I'm not there yet, so I'm I'm still in good form. Very good. And I'm looking... I was speaking at a conference that is not my typical thing. This was an academic gathering of scholars... I don't even consider myself a scholar in the scholarly sense of the word scholar. Was that redundant? A little bit. That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> but Mikhail Waldstein, a dear friend of mine who is a scholar par excellence, he translated the the critical edition of The Theology of the Body, and uh, I helped him with that. He reached out to me and wanted me to help him with that. And for 15 years, I've been waiting for the release of this book, which is an 833-page labor of love from Mikhail Waldstein called The Glory of the Logos in the Flesh. And there was a celebration uh, about the release of this book, various scholars giving commentary mm-hmm. on it. And it was an honor to be there. It really, It really was. But I, I felt a little bit like a fish out of water. It's just, I mean, I, I, I love and respect deeply scholarship. Uh, I, I draw from it all the time. Um, but it's, you know, I, I'm not a, I'm not a scholar in that, mm-hmm. in that sense, well, but I'm, I was happy to contribute what I was able to contribute. Yeah. It, it took a, just a, a trust in the Lord. Like he's yeah. going to use this in some way and yeah. trust him to do that. And I think 
we're all called to things like that. I hope our listeners are encouraged when you feel, you know, that you're not quite up to the task that you are feeling the Lord has placed before you, that trust that he's Step doing something out. good. Step out in faith. Yeah. Be not afraid. Do you have any updates for us on the TOB Institute? I do. Go we for it. are very excited about the major event coming in May mm-hmm. called Revealed. You can come in person to Black Rock Retreat Center for this three-day event from May 13th through the 15th, uh, starting on the Feast of Our Lady of Fatima, very important date in the history of the theology of the body. And if you don't know why, read my book, Eclipse of the Body. Mm. I'm just saying. Um, We have Father Mike Schmitz coming. We have Jason Everett coming. We have Jackie and Bobby Angel coming, who coincidentally met at Black Rock Retreat Center here in mm. Pennsylvania at a TOB Institute course. That's nice. kind of fun. Yeah. They're now well-known speakers in the Catholic world. They will be there. Damon Owens will be there. Bill Dunahee will be there. I will be there, of course. Um, I'm, I'm forgetting some people. But go click the link in the show notes to learn more about this event, which you can attend live or you can attend online. And there is a, a free access to that online that gives you access to the keynotes and the main events of the weekend. But then there's also the premium pass where you get lots of extras like the the casual conversations we're going to be having, which I'm really looking forward to especially. I, I mean, I love the keynotes. They'll be excellent. But we're, we're creating this event to be also a chance to sit down with these Catholic speakers and teachers and have casual conversations. So I'm going to be sitting on the couch with, oh, Jeff Cavins. Did I mention Jeff Cavins? No. Nope. That's one of the ones I forgot. I'm, I'm going to be sitting on the couch with Jeff Cavins, for example, and we're just going to talk without a script. We're going to mm-hmm. talk about what's on our hearts, what's exciting us, what's what we're praying through. And I think it's going to be those off-the-cuff, kind of more casual conversations where a lot of the fruit will be born, and that's available to those who purchase a premium pass. And why why don't we just make it all free? Well, because we also have to run a ministry, and this is how we fund what we do. So uh, if you want to be part of this event and want to help fund what we do, this is a great way to do it. Absolutely. So check out the link. It's going to be, we're doing it differently. You know, there are a lot of online conferences. We're, we're not even calling this an online conference. It's a live experience. Mm. It's, in a, it's, a, it's an event. And we're, we're using some technology that's going to make interacting with those who are tuning in online a very different experience than the kind of typical Catholic online event that we've gotten used to during these crazy COVID times. Mm-hmm. So yeah, check it out. It's going to be really special. That's exciting. Shall I go on with a question? Let's do it. The first question is from a patron named Susan. Hello, Susan. She says, hi, Christopher and Wendy. Thank you so much for this podcast. I listen on my way to work each week, and I find my heart both pierced and uplifted with each episode. That's so encouraging. Something Christopher said in my first TOB class, I took TOB1 in January of 2013, has stuck with me to this day, and I'd like to hear more from him about it. Hmm. When speaking about Mary's 
open, receptive posture before God. He gave a definition of suffering as, mm, I quote, remember. Yep. continued receptivity before God. Yep. This is stunning. Please say more about this. Is this from Christopher or was he quoting someone else? Thank you. Yeah, Susan, thank you for for asking that question. And it's interesting that that had pierced you and stayed with you all these years, because when I first heard it, it pierced me and has stayed with me since 1996, mm. when I was sitting in one of my classes at the John Paul II Institute in Washington, D.C., and my professor, David Schindler, said that. He said, suffering means continued receptivity in our posture before the Lord. And it just crystallized something for me in my own understanding of my life and in a particular way, my resistance of suffering. And the, the, the idea that suffering means a continued openness rang true to me not so much because I live that continued openness well, but because I don't. And I understand in my own heart that I often close because mm. I don't want to suffer. This, this has become even more clear to me lately. I was on a retreat um, two months ago, and I may have shared this in a podcast episodes since. I can't keep it all straight, what I say and don't say on podcast. <laughs> so if this is a repeat from a recent episode, please forgive me. Um, but this crystallized for me that in my, my sufferings, I had a lot of sufferings in my childhood that I didn't even know I was having as a child. They've only come out later in life as I've reflected on dysfunction in my life and pain that I've caused people close to me, you first among them, my my dear love. Mm. And seeing pain that I was causing those close to me compelled me to say, where is this coming from? And I started looking back, this would be 20 or more years ago, started looking back more seriously at my, my own upbringing and my childhood and pain from rejection wounds and uh, I, I came to realize that in that pain, I sought my own way out of it. I sought my own way of coping with the pain, which was really a, ended up being a rejection of myself. Like I started agreeing with those who were rejecting me because I couldn't take being rejected. And I came up with my own plan to escape the rejection by just joining in with it. Mm -hmm. And what crystallized for me on this retreat a couple months ago was that there was an invitation. I, I didn't know anything. I mean, I didn't, couldn't have articulated it. But in the, in the spirit, there was an invitation to identify with the crucified and rejected Jesus. But I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to be the crucified. And so I ended up being the crucifier. And this is what really crystallized for me on this retreat, that I think these are really the only two options. <laughs> I don't know that there's a middle ground. We're, 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 
we're either going to identify with the crucified or we're going to identify with those who crucified him. And and I, I don't mean like we would actually, you know, I mean, especially if you're a person of faith, it's not like you're willfully saying, crucify him, crucify him. You know, that that makes us weep when we think of that. But at deeper unconscious levels, when we, when we, for example, in my life, there's a, a flip-flopping between kind of a perfectionistic, I got to get it right, I got to get it right, and then when I get it wrong, I, I beat myself up. There's a kind of self-condemnation and even a self-loathing. Uh, and I've come to realize that's, I've come to realize through the help of wise spiritual direction, that when I'm rejecting myself in that way or loathing myself in that way, I'm loathing Christ. I'm loathing Christ in me. And that's what I mean by taking the posture of the crucifier. Uh, it's, it's in my own life, I've seen this, I don't want to be the crucified, it hurts too much, so I'll be the crucifier. Or I don't want to be dominated, so I'll be the dominator. I, I don't want to be mocked, so I'll be the one who mocks. I don't want to be judged, so I'll be the one who judges. It's just the wrong paradigm. The correct paradigm, the, 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 the invitation that Jesus holds out to all of us, I'm going to Jerusalem. I must suffer greatly. I must be rejected. I must be killed. Then he says, follow me. That, wow, oh, whoa, um, I, I don't, wow, really? Saying yes without saying no. I mean, that's, <laughs> <laughs> I think people know what I mean. Saying yes to Jesus without holding back. Saying yes to Jesus without putting up a wall, without blocking, without resisting where it goes means we will walk with him to Jerusalem, so to speak. We will be rejected. We will be suffer, we will suffer greatly. And in our own way, we'll be crucified with Christ. That's what that truth is getting at that I heard in 1996 sitting in that classroom, that suffering means continual receptivity to that following of Jesus. I find myself as I'm listening, feeling like, is there a certain type of suffering that we're talking about? Like, I feel like sometimes people suffer and they're not being receptive to Jesus at all. Yes, they're yes. Kind of... That's a good clarification, Wendy. I'm, I'm taking a lot for granted here, but I, yeah. I, you're on it, so I want to let you keep going there. Keep yeah, going. I feel like people get sort of stuck in a, a you know, a whole pattern of maybe conscious or unconscious, um, wounded, painful situations. You know, they could be just the daily life of difficulty. Uh, not all of it, I guess, in our relationships or in our physical bodies, not all of it seems to be a pure suffering that has almost like an implied consolation to it in in how it brings us closer to the Lord. Sometimes we're suffering 
for, you know, say we're in an addiction or in a yes. very complex, yes. you know, difficult life circumstance, I, I feel like we're just using the word suffering without saying, what do we mean yeah, here? Yeah, you're right. You're, that's very important to clarify. And and I was I was presuming that we are we're talking about a the call to suffer with Christ mm-hmm. in a redemptive way. Right. And and the Christian proposal is that all suffering, even those sufferings you just mentioned and and any and every other suffering that humanity can go through. Think of what people are suffering right now in the Ukraine. Just the horrors of of war. The 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 heartbreak of unrequited love, the the terror of sexual abuse uh, and what that does to a soul. I mean, all of the sufferings that you can name in, in, in human experience, which are too many to name and almost unfathomable. Suffering is part of this fallen existence. What I'm talking about is suffering, learning to suffer well. And learning to suffer well means learning how that suffering you're going through can be an identification with the suffering servant, Jesus Christ, and therefore can become redemptive suffering, where we choose freely to accept sufferings in our lives, not not in a masochistic way, that's a whole different thing. Mm -hmm. For example, the sufferings I experienced in my childhood through these rejection wounds, it's completely unjust, uh, was was not deserved, not anything I could do about it at the time. I only discovered that these were real wounds in my life much later. Mm-hmm. But the Lord works outside of time. And I can say, I accept, even as a 52-year-old man, I can say a suffering that I experienced when I was five years old that I had no context for understanding as a five-year-old, but I still feel the wound now as a 52-year-old. I can say, in the name of Jesus, I choose to accept that God allowed this suffering in my life to bring about a greater good, and I choose to unite that suffering that I experienced with Jesus in hope and in trust that he will bring about this greater good. That's the openness. That's the right. yes. That's the that's the the attempt anyway to give a yes without putting up a wall. And we can do that with all of our sufferings. We can do it with whatever your 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 addictions might be or the the wounds of of a painful relationship, whatever it might be, the sufferings of war, that what the Ukrainians are going through right now can be opened up and offered up and united with Jesus in his suffering precisely because Jesus bore all that humanity bears in his sacred heart when it was pierced, in his very flesh when it was scourged, in his very hands when they were nailed to the wood. Uh, he carried what we carry, he, and that means all of our sufferings can be redemptive. And to allow suffering to be redemptive is to give that yes uh, 
Do you think, do you think I'm clarifying this enough, Wendy, or appropriately? I think it's beautiful. And I see a work of grace in your life and heart that I just want to reverence it. And I, I also experience it to some extent. I just also know that we get in hard situations where, um, you know, we're wondering, is what I'm suffering a sign that I need to make a change in yes, my life? Yes, yes. Maybe even a very difficult change. Yes. And that's where, you know, I just feel like is is there is there some way to kind of just clarify like yes, we're called to this receptivity before God. I absolutely know that to be the case and and this is a profound insight that 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 always includes suffering. I think it also includes deep consolations and it, wise, prudent decision making. Yes, and I, I, yeah, that's just. Can I give you an example? Yes, here? please. You're, I'm so glad. This is why it's so good we do this podcast mm-hmm. together, because we can feed off one another here yeah. and, and go places I wouldn't go on my own, and you wouldn't go on your own. This is great. So. I think this might get to it. This receptivity should not be confused with passivity, mm-hmm. with a limpness, right. a just accepting everything as it comes. And here's a great biblical example. Joseph and Mary, who always remained receptive, also took action in in prudential judgments and in discernment and in listening to the Lord. An angel shows up in a dream for Joseph and says, go to Egypt because they want to kill your son. Mm-hmm. And the hour's not yet come for the death of his son, right? That'll come years later. So he is receptive, not in a passive way. Well, mm-hmm. oh, oh, the Herod's after my son and to kill him, I'll just accept Mm-hmm. In a passive, oh, here comes all the horrors and evils that are, you know, it's not that. It's a it's a receptivity to the will of God and a prudential discernment of what he's asking. And it, isn't it interesting, so many times in the gospel where they wanted to throw Jesus off a hill mm-hmm. or they picked up stones to, to stone him, right. we read things like, he walked right through the crowd. Mm-hmm. Because his hour had not yet come. It wasn't his time. The time would come, but it wasn't yet where he would, following the will of the Lord, accept the suffering that humanity was going to throw at him. So there is a, there is a, in the receptivity, we cannot confuse it with passivity. Mm. It's a receptivity to the will of God. Uh, and a dis- and an active discernment and a prudential judgment in acting rightly in following the will of the Lord. That does that's very a very different picture, and I'm so glad you're clarifying this and helping me to clarify it as well and express it. That continued receptivity does not mean being a doormat. Mm-hmm. A woman who's in an abusive, physically or even emotionally abusive marriage where where she, her safety, or the safety of the children is at stake. You know, con- the, this idea of continued receptivity would not be stay in the relationship and continue to be right. in harm's way, right? So 
but receptivity to the will of the Lord. What is the will of the Lord? Uh, well, in such a situation, the will of the Lord would ve be very clearly, uh, and this is where we can just rely on our reason here, that reason is not going to contradict things here. The reasonable thing to do is get your butt out of that situation. Mm. Um, but nonetheless, there's this, this, there will remain a deeper suffering of, the, of, of her heart from being in such a painful situation that the Lord has allowed, uh, which is very different than saying willed, right? I'm not saying the Lord willed, the Lord allowed. Uh, and learning how to unite that suffering of the heart with the Lord is very important. Mm. That's what I'm getting at. The, 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 the sufferings that are inevitable in life, uh, we're going to suffer, mm -hmm. and we're going to suffer even more if we find our own coping mechanisms for them by putting up a wall and saying no, 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 no to Jesus. Right. It does mean putting up defenses against brutality from other human beings. Um, but then there's also, you know, what is the Lord calling you to in this moment? There are times to accept the brutality of others like Jesus did in his passion. That takes very wise, clear prudential discernment. Mm -hmm. Just want to ask the Blessed Mother, you were speaking about her at the course when this, you know, phrase, yes. you know, that impacted our listener. I just want to ask for her prayers for us and for our listeners in, in really learning um, what our personal path is with the Lord and, and drawing closer to Him and in um, experiencing grace in suffering, which is unavoidable in every life. So, Mary, I ask you to pray for us right now. I ask you to, in your beautiful motherly heart that both protects your children and holds us close to you when, our suf when we're suffering, thank you for being such a beautiful mother. Thank you for being such a beautiful bride. Mm. Mm. Thank you for your example of incredible surrender of everything you are to God's will being accomplished um, in you and through you for everyone on earth. Thank you so much. We ask for your prayers for us that we would have wise judgment, that we would um, learn how to follow the Lord each in our individual circumstances and be consoled by closeness ever deeper closeness to his heart. Yes, Lord. And thank you, Susan, for that question. We hope that those ramblings were of some, some help to you. And thank you for being a patron of our work. We're so grateful to you. Can't do it without patrons like you. Our next question is from an anonymous listener um, who begins with a quote, maybe, uh, maybe something that one of us said on a previous episode, okay. I think. So in quotes, it says, arousal is a sign our body is made to be a gift. Yes, I remember saying that. And then the question is, what are practical ways to make a gift of yourself to the other when dating? Yeah, that's great. So let me put that statement in context. Mm -hmm. uh, arousal is a sign that our bodies are meant to be a gift. Uh, in our fallen state, arousal, sexual arousal, is is 
you know, can be stirred by any number of stimuli, and there's a, a, a rupture between our bodies and our souls in our fallen state, that this, the sentiment of arousal is not in our fallen state, I want to be a gift to you. The sentiment of the arousal in our fallen state is, I want to use you to satisfy this urge that has been aroused. Mm. And Jesus's words here are critical. In the beginning, it was not so. In the beginning, before sin caused this rupture between body and soul, there was a perfect harmony between the will and the body. And the arousal of the body and the will were in unison, and the will was always to be a gift. Mm -hmm. That's what enabled them to be naked without shame, that they experienced erotic desire not as a desire to use one another, but as a desire to, to love as God loves, to be a gift. So my statement that even in our fallen nature, arousal is a sign that we are called to be a gift. What I'm really saying by that is the arousal is an indication that we are called to reintegration in body and soul. Uh, and this happens through the virtue we call chastity. Uh, chastity is not a repress, repression of sexual desire and instinct. It is an integration of sexual desire with the truth of what it means to love. As John Paul II says in Love and Responsibility, chast chastity is a matter of long-term integration, where all of our reactions, emotional and physical reactions, to the beauty and attractiveness of another get raised to the level of the dignity of the person. So that's what I'm saying when I say arousal is a sign that we're called to be a gift. It's a, it's a sign that in the beginning, sexual desire was the desire to love as God loves. It's not the way we experience it in a fallen world, but through the redemption, one for us in, one for us in Christ, we are called to a journey of reintegration. So what might that look like uh, in a dating situation? Well, I, I remember, Wendy, when you and I went out on our first date, mm -hmm. and we were just talking about this recently. We were telling our story to another couple, and you were telling the story of when we got in the car on our first date and I held your hand. Do you want to yeah. say something about that? Yeah, I was so excited about going on this date with you, and when I got in passenger seat and you took my hand to just begin the date with a prayer. I I was so overwhelmed by you holding my hand that I felt like I was actually fainting, like a dizzy <laughs> feeling inside me, like I was falling or something. Woo! <laughs> yeah. That's the power of love. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. See, if if we can't recognize the awesomeness of that, and we think, oh, something bad is happening. This I got to repress this. This is only going to get me in trouble. That is what John Paul II calls the interpretation of suspicion, right? The this, this suspicion that it's all bad. It's only going to get you in trouble. This is only going to get worse. You got Now, that's not to say just follow whatever 
is getting aroused in you, but to recognize that that experience you're having a feeling faint as I held your hand is, is, a, is a, an echo of the beginning. There's a beautiful mm. openness happening in your heart through my physical touch there that that is something beautiful about you. How can you, with God's grace, direct that experience towards genuine love? That's really the question. Mm-hmm. And that would mean being aware of the inner movements of your heart. And here I'll, I'll paraphrase John Paul II. I know this one pretty well by heart, but I can't promise you it's word for word what he says. But he says, we are called to discern the inner movements of our hearts. He says, this is a science, and it cannot be learned only from books, because here it's a matter of deep knowledge of what's going on in our hearts. Deep in our hearts, he says, we learn to distinguish between those movements of our hearts that lead merely to the indulgence of lust and the using of other people to gratify that lust, and what corresponds to the deeper truth of that original plan of God for the love between a man and a woman. Then he says, And although these inner movements of the heart can sometimes be confused with each other, right? Is this love? Is this selfishness? Is this part of God's beautiful original plan? Or is this something that got twisted up here? Am I acting out of that twisted upness? Or am I acting out of that echo of the beginning? That that can be tricky to discern, he says. Although these movements of the heart within certain limits can sometimes be confused with each other, he says, We are called in Christ to acquire a mature and a complete evaluation. Is this the wheat in my heart, or is this coming from the weeds? We are called to a mature and a complete evaluation. And then he says one of my favorite lines. He says, this task can be carried out, and it is truly worthy of the human person to do so. Mm, That's the call. That's the call. I have some thoughts, too, to add to that, and I I love everything that you just um, shared. Uh, I love that you got weak in the knees when I held your hand (laughs) on our first date. I just think that's awesome. And my heart was going pitter-patter, too, I must say. Yes, and part of the beauty of this message in today's culture, my goodness, we have no... just Almost no one is saying this to us anymore. It just seems like... uh, you know, we're meant to follow every desire to all the way to its end instead of pausing and just reflecting and respecting what what it's all saying to us. The the symbolism and the meaning of our experiences is just we are losing that completely in this world. Um so first of all, you, you asked about practical ways when when dating. And I think the implication here is we're not married, so we shouldn't follow arousal to its end of intercourse, which is its end. Obviously. Um, but but to understand obvious. why, to yeah. understand the meaning of the full gift of the body to one another is so helpful, especially if we have a heart that desires God's will for our, our lives. We understand God is 
good and his will for us is good then there are lots of different stages in a dating relationship it's not like okay you're in the dating category so here's what this will look like but my my thought is just to um ask the lord to reveal to you how beautiful it is that you are in the stage you are in right now and not to allow the the desires that are stirred to cause you to resent God or resent your current state of life. Or resent each other or resent yourself and your own body. Exactly. To receive it all and to say, Lord, you are so good. You've called me to be in this relationship, if in fact it is, you know, a, a good relationship to be in. And I, you know, that's that discernment that we were talking about in the last question that to honor the current relationship and not physically, not emotionally, not in your imagination, spend a lot of time going beyond what your current relationship is, but to, to express your love. If it's a friendship level of love with some romance, because you say you're dating, but still how far along in, you know, discernment of your calling in life are you in that relationship to be true to where it is right now, to be true to it in your prayer for one another, in the things that you talk about, in the activities that you enjoy together. All of that is making a gift of yourself by, first of all, receiving who you are now, who the other person is now as a gift from the Lord. And so honoring that in the way you relate to one another is making a gift. And I'll just share this for our listeners, um, you know, who are not married, that this learning this, that, that even not following through arousal, you know, completely even in marriage is a gift of loving the other. And if you can experience it and practice it and recognize it at this stage of life, it prepares you so well to continue to experience the, the necessary self-denial that's part of marriage as also an opportunity to genuinely love in rightness and peace before God. That's the gift. Preach it. Gift. What you're getting at is that love in in all stages requires self-denial. Yeah. It requires what it really requires is self-mastery. Mm-hmm. And we have this impression I only have to be chased until I get married. Whoa, 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 whoa. No, 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 no. It, chastity is not the same as abstinence. Right? Chastity is the virtue that orders our sexual desires and attractions towards the truth of self-giving love. Chastity is an absolute prerequisite for, for a husband and wife to love one another rightly, uh, because freedom is, is required of love. This is one of the questions that a, husband, a bride and groom are asked at the altar. Have you come here freely to give yourselves to one another without reservation? The, the, the marital embrace, if it's coming from a compulsion that you can't control, yeah. it's not an act of love, even if you're married. Uh, and, and so sexual freedom here, I say this often, but it bears repeating. Sexual freedom is not the liberty to indulge my compulsions. That's the, the very secular understanding. 
Sexual freedom is not the liberty to indulge my compulsions. It is liberation from my compulsions to indulge. Mm -hmm. Only such a person can be a gift. And gift, gift requires sacrifice. Speaking as a married man, I could be aroused by any number of women as I'm walking through the airport. Mm -hmm. I see a beautiful woman and it stirs something in me. Okay, if that is a, a sign that I am called to be a gift to her, clearly I'm not called to be a gift to her in sexual intercourse. That's not my wife. How can I be a gift to her? I can be a gift to her by recognizing that this arousal is not something to say yes to. <laughs> and in saying no to it, I'm being a gift to her. Yes. I'm being a gift to her in the no mm -hmm. to the arousal. So so that, and that's freedom. I guess put it this way, I'm being a gift by exercising my freedom mm -hmm. in a prudential way, in a way that is appropriate to the relationship. Uh, and it's not, hold it back, hold it back, hold it back, hold it back. Oh, you're my wife now, Wendy. Now I get to release, release, release. <laughs> <laughs> that would end up treating you like a thing. Mm -hmm. It's It's a mastery. The fact that I am able to say no to the woman that may arouse me uh, in her beauty as I'm walking through the airport, I can rightly and readily and happily bless you, you're beautiful, uh, whatever might be aroused in me by your beauty, I'm not going down that path. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say yes to loving you by sacrificing whatever my disintegrated humanity might be desiring. I'm loving that woman. The ability to do that, conversely, can become, can can give an authenticity and does give an authenticity to saying yes to you, my wife, in in allowing your beauty to stir me to give the full consummate marital gift of my body to you from a place of freedom. Mm. Not that you and I do this perfectly. We're broken. Uh but there, I'm just, the freedom is real. There's always more freedom to experience. You can never say, I've arrived. I'm as free as I can possibly be. Uh-uh. No, there's more. Because freedom is participating in the life of God. And the life of God is infinite. There's always more freedom to be had. Uh, and it's real. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Do not take up again a yoke of slavery. Our next question is from... Archie. Hello, Archie. She says, my husband is turning 40 this year, and we have been touched by Theology of the Body, so I was thinking of giving him a unity cross. Mm. Can you explain all the signs and details that need to be in a unity cross? My mom, who's a sculptor, is going to make it. Oh, wow. Wow. Um, for those who don't know about the unity cross, uh, the, the one that I typically use in courses and at events was designed by, I don't know the artist's name, but it was designed for and within the Schoenstatt movement. Uh, S-C-H-O-E-N-S-T-A-T-T, -T, I think. That sounds right to me. Schoenstatt movement. So you could just Google, go to Google Images, type in Schoenstatt Unity Cross, and you'll find the one that I typically use. But there are some symbolism, there is some symbolism in that one, that is, is somewhat specific to 
the Schoenstatt movement, like what's going on above Jesus' head. I don't even know the symbolism of that. But, but the typical and the key element would be that Mary is close up to Christ, holding a chalice, receiving the flow of blood and water from the pierced side of Jesus. Mm-hmm. That's the key element. Mm-hmm. It's, the, it's the spousal significance of what's going on. And here, of course, Mary represents the new Eve. It's, it's, she's the symbol of the church. And in that sense, of course, in the flesh, she's always his mother. But in this mystical and spiritual sense, she's the bride. She's the church. Christ gave himself up for the church to make her holy, to make her immaculate. Right? That's, by the way, Ephesians 5 is where the biblical basis for uh, the Immaculate Conception, uh, at least one of the biblical passages uh, upon which the church draws this teaching. That's an aside. Uh, so that's the main element. Mary at the foot of the cross receiving in a chalice the flow of blood and water. So, yeah, there it is. Uh, I've, I've said much about this. T- check out some of my YouTube videos where I'm talking about the meaning of, of this, the nuptial symbolism of the unity cross. So powerful. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bishop Fulton Sheen is one I, I typically refer to, where he says, Do you know what's happening at the foot of the cross? Nuptials! Nuptials! Christ the bridegroom gives his body for the bride. And the woman, he calls her woman at the foot of the cross. What does he say to her? Woman, behold your son, the beloved disciple is the mystical offspring of the mystical marriage of the new Adam and the new Eve consummated in their piercing of hearts, right? As Christ's heart is pierced by a lance, the prophecy from Simeon is fulfilled. A lance will pierce your heart also. That's the consummation. Whenever I look at the unity cross that you use in your presentations and which the Institute does sell on our yeah, website right. as well. We'll have a link to that um, in the show notes. Uh, it strikes me so much the incredible closeness of Mary and Jesus and the the loving closeness that they are sharing in that and how it it just in its representation is just getting at that the piercing that you just spoke of you know it's she's attentively receiving the gift from his heart from his being pierced by a sword. Right. And we can just see in her posture and her face that she's she's also pierced, but she sense, senses this profound bond with Jesus in yes. this suffering together that is, as you said, it's it's life-giving. And she she sees, I just see her as she's receiving that from his side into the chalice. She's seeing the preciousness of his gift to all of humanity. Yeah, and that brings us kind of full circle back to Susan's question. About suffering. About yeah. suffering and receptivity at the foot of the cross. Mm-hmm. And how do we how do we how do we say yes to that? Mary, teach us how to say yes prudentially, correctly, rightly, as you did. Mm. We ask this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in to this episode. If you've been blessed, please share this episode with friends, with family, anybody you know who might need to hear what you heard today. Keep the questions coming, and check out the link in the show notes for Revealed. There are limited spots for those in-person experience tickets, so check them out. And uh, until next time, 
May you know it deep in your bones that you are an indispensable, irreplaceable, unrepeatable gift. Become what you are. Ask Christopher West is brought to you by the Theology of the Body Institute with music by Mike Mangione. Christopher and Wendy hope that the information provided is helpful to you, but remind you that they are not licensed counselors. If you are going through serious difficulty, a list of trusted counselors and psychologists can be found in the show notes. Thank you.